My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Dolores Stevenson. On January 10th, 2015, Nadine Machizkinik was found unconscious in the laundry room of a hotel in Regina, Saskatchewan. Hotel staff did not notify the police. When Nadine died in hospital a couple of hours later, still nobody notified the police. It was only 60 hours after she was originally found that someone, a coroner, decided that the death under mysterious circumstances of an indigenous woman who had experienced physical injury warranted police attention. While the investigation that began at that point produced an official conclusion that Nadine's death involved no foul play, the family and many in the community are highly skeptical of this conclusion. Her death was caused by falling ten stories down a laundry chute, but how she got into the laundry chute to begin with was never adequately explained. Nor were the details of who she had been with on the tenth floor, or what role they might have played. The investigation was marked by delays, errors, and contradictions, and left the family with an overarching sense that authorities were not taking it seriously. Dolores Stevenson is Nadine's aunt, though they were close in age and had a relationship more like sisters. She and others in the family have been vocal from the very beginning in pushing for a proper investigation. In the last year, with more formal support from a coalition of individuals and groups in the Regina community called Justice for Nadine. The family has also connected with a local group of relatives of other missing and murdered Indigenous women. During the active investigation, Stevenson persistently sought answers from the police and the coroner, and because of their reluctance to provide answers, she frequently had little choice but to take her questions to the media. Though she still does not have all of the answers that she wants, and certainly has not found the justice that Nadine deserves, the persistence of Stevenson and of Justice for Nadine, and their hard work to keep the case in the public eye through events and media work, have definitely had an impact. Their persistence played a role in unearthing the fact that toxicology samples were not sent for analysis until many months after they should have been, for instance, and the fact that two very contradictory autopsy reports were issued in the case. Already the case has resulted in a provincial review of the coroner's office in Saskatchewan, and her death will be subject to a formal coroner's inquest in March. Currently, Stevenson and Justice for Nadine are raising money with the crowdfunding site GoFundMe so that the family can be represented by legal counsel at the inquest. Stevenson talks with me about Nadine, about the case, about the broader issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women, and about the hard work of trying to find some justice for Nadine. We spoke by Skype to phone from Regina. My name is Dolores Stevenson. I'm a student at the University of Regina studying Indigenous social work. I'm a single mother of one child. My mother raised Nadine since she was a baby. She's two years younger than me, so she grew up in my home with my family, and she was like a sister to me. 
We were close. We hung out all the time. She had a nice personality. She was a nice person. She was loving. She had four children. She had some struggles and issues along the way, but she had four children that she loved and cared for. And Nadine was found at the Delta Hotel in Regina, unconscious on January 10th, 2015. She had fallen from a laundry chute at the Delta Hotel. There was a lot of things that didn't happen properly throughout her investigation. Tell me what you know about what happened on that tragic night in 2015. Nadine was found at the Delta Hotel in Regina. She was found at the bottom of a laundry chute at 4 a.m. on January 10th, 2015. She was found by staff who did not call the police. She was found and she was taken to hospital and she died two hours later. The police hadn't even been involved in her case until 60 hours after she had been found. It was the coroner's office who called in the police and it was presumed that she was intoxicated and unconscious, passed out in the Delta Hotel. That was the assumptions that were made by the people there at the hotel. And as far as you know, what happened once the police were notified? Once the police were involved, some 60 hours later, I have no idea. I don't think there was actually a scene that was closed off at the Delta Hotel itself at the time of the investigation in the beginning. What do you remember about learning about Nadine's death? Well, when I learned that Nadine had fallen from a laundry chute, my immediate reaction to the whole situation was the police response and the hotel's response and the negligence to that. In the beginning, I just thought it was a poor start to an investigation, and I don't feel that Nadine was given a good investigation. If that's her introduction, that the police don't come for 60 hours and Everybody has these assumptions. What kinds of assumptions do you think people were making about Nadine? The assumptions were that she wandered into the Delta Hotel, intoxicated, and found an open door in the laundry room and went to go and sleep in there. That were the assumptions that were made by the hotel. That's the story that was kind of given to us from even the police in the beginning. And to me, that was a bit of a stereotype and a red flag because, I mean, I had to question, you know, she's an Indigenous woman and she's found in the hotel and nobody thinks that it's anything serious or anything critical to take into consideration to have the police involved immediately. And when I found out how she had died, I just don't think that she would walk into a laundry chute on her own and put herself in a laundry chute. In my opinion, that's out of her character. It was my assumption that either somebody pushed her in there or, yeah, how the investigation was told to me, which wasn't taken into consideration, was that Nadine... Just a a quick interruption for clarification. Here Stevenson is talking about what the investigation did manage to uncover about Nadine's time in the hotel before she died. Nadine was found on the 10th floor. There was a lot of banging going on on the 10th floor. There was an alarm pulled. There was candy all over the floor. There was a smashed fire extinguisher. And if that doesn't scream loud enough, then I don't know what does. 
for help. What kinds of things did you do to start pushing for a better investigation? Well, we started asking questions for sure about the whole investigation and the 60-hour delay. And as we started to uncover some of the questions, and mind you, I had to go to the media numerous times to get responses from the Regina police to get answers. And I should never have had to go to the media as much times as I did to bring attention to this case and the injustice that I felt was done in this case. And when you started asking the police these questions, before you went to the media, what kind of responses did you get? The police said that they weren't informed, that nobody called them to come into the Delta Hotel, but yet there was a fire alarm that was pulled that night, so you would think that the police would have showed up when the fire alarm was pulled, but unfortunately they never showed up for either the fire alarm or an unconscious woman found in a basement of a Delta Hotel. And as things moved forward, once they'd started investigating and you kept asking questions, how did they treat you? I felt like I was just continually being put off and I felt like I wasn't getting the answers that I wanted and I felt like the questions that I was asking were being avoided. And I, as I just kept digging and digging and prodding and prodding and asking more questions, there was just so much stuff that started to get dug up out of all of this whole investigation. It's just unbelievable. Tell me about some of those things that got dug up that made you really concerned with the investigation. Well, first of all, it was the toxicology. It was my understanding that toxicologies should only take up to six to eight weeks. So I was bugging the police just about every month, every other month, and the coroner, asking them where the toxicology reports were. Well, over a year later, the toxicology reports finally had come back and we got the results. And it turned out that these toxicology were sitting in a lab in a storage room for six months before even being sent off. And that just unraveled other things with the coroner's office or whoever's responsibility it was to send off the toxicology reports. So that was a big question for me. Did you ever get a good answer as to why the toxicology samples weren't sent when they should have been? No, no, I didn't get an answer as to why. I just kept getting the back and forth from the coroner or the police and the miscommunication between them, I don't know. And when you decided, after getting the runaround and no clear answers, that you had to go to the media, how did you approach the media and what kind of a response did you get from them? I shared Nadine's story and what happened to her, and I wanted to bring attention and bring light to her story, but not only to her story, but just how her case was handled to begin with, and just to kind of keep that light shining on how her case was handled, because we know that this is probably not the first case that has been misconducted. In the beginning, I felt like her story was being portrayed through her lifestyle and I just felt like it was being portrayed in a negative way but as I went on with doing media I met some really good reporters who did some really good stories and covered the key points that needed to be covered. When and how did the group Justice for Nadine first form? I would probably say on her anniversary of January 10th 2016. I connected with community supports within the city and I reached out to as much people as I could from all over, from every direction I reached out to 
SCAR, which is Saskatchewan Coalition Against Racism. I reached out to some professors from the university. I reached out to some community supports that support Indigenous families. So I connected with a lot of people and just asked them if they would come together and if they would help me and my family to get answers and to get justice and to really examine how Nadine's case was being treated. And did the group start to have regular meetings at that point? Yes, we had meetings and discussed the events. We've had a lot of supporters come alongside of us and help us coordinate events like her vigil and memorial we just had on January 10th. And we also did the missing and murdered Indigenous women and just bringing awareness to the issue and remembering Nadine and keeping her memory alive. And you did a vigil on the first anniversary of Nadine's death too, right? In January 2016? Yes, we did. We did. We had a vigil walk and we walked from the Regina police station to the Delta Hotel, which isn't very far, but we did the walk. And surprisingly, we had a good number of people come out to support. It was very cold that year. This past year, we have done the vigil. This one was an indoor vigil and memorial. We had some guest speakers come in and bring awareness to the issue, and we incorporated some of our cultural aspects to it and brought the community together and anyone who wanted to support not only Nadine but other families. In doing this work, what kinds of responses have you gotten from people in the community who hear about the case or who you talk to about the case? I think a lot of people feel probably the way that I feel. They see the injustice, and I know I feel angry that this is an unjust situation that me and my family have to go through with the justice system. And one awful thing that sometimes happens when situations are in the public eye can be hostility from members of the public. Is that something you've had to deal with at all? From the public? Actually, no, I haven't come across any hostility in raising this issue. So far, I haven't. Have you connected with other families of missing and murdered Indigenous women in the Regina community? Oh, yes, yes. I've connected with other families that have lost loved ones and that have missing loved ones. And there's actually a missing and murdered Indigenous women committee group in Regina here that kind of comes together once a month to discuss the National Inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and the process. So that information has been very helpful for myself and my family also. And as a surviving family member of an Indigenous woman who may very well have been murdered, what has your sense been of the national process around this issue? Does it sound like something that's going to address the kinds of needs and experiences that you've had? I really don't feel like it's going to. I mean, unless they're going to examine how some of these investigations are handled to begin with, because I uh, honestly, Nadine's case was not handled with urgency, and I feel that strongly. And I have to question how many other investigations were or have been handled in this manner, where people aren't interrogated or people aren't questioned or It's just allowed to run cold for long periods of time. Because in Nadine's situation, there was two suspects that were with her before she went up in the elevator. And there was these two individuals 
footage of them wasn't released until nine months later after her investigation. It wasn't released for nine months later, and they had no names to these individuals. So that kind of made me question, how long did it take them to actually go in and look at camera footage? And footage that apparently was glitchy and not working on the night of January 10th. It just doesn't make sense. In the meetings that you have with other families of missing and murdered Indigenous women, do you find that there are lots of similarities between what they've been through and what you've been through? Oh, yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Most definitely. I can relate to the responses that I hear about the Regina police and how they have had their relationship with a family of missing and murdered Indigenous and the tension or conflict or whatever it is that's there. So one of the things that often happens in cases like this, and that I know has been an issue in a lot of cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women across the country, is there can be a lot of victim blaming from the authorities, whether that is really open and direct or just part of the assumptions that they make or whatever. Do you think that's something that has happened in Nadine's case? And if so, how has it happened? Well, in the beginning, clearly she was stereotyped as an Aboriginal woman intoxicated going into a laundry room. Like, that's a pretty big judgment to make on somebody who is critically hurt and dying just to assume that they're drunk and passed out. And do you think that has played out in the investigation as well, that tendency to blame it on the victim? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that was the situation, which was why there wasn't really a good investigation. I mean, if this, pardon my language, but if this was a white woman found at the bottom of a laundry chute, I'm pretty sure the Delta Hotel would have been cornered off and it would have been crowded with police and there would have been a big search party. But this is a young Aboriginal woman and in my opinion and how I felt about it at the beginning was everybody just kind of looked the other way. What was the conclusion of the police investigation? The conclusion was that there was no foul play and that they had no reason to believe there was foul play. What do you think of that conclusion? I just think that they didn't do their job to begin with. Otherwise, I would never had to ask as much questions as I did and end up with a bunch of unanswered questions. Mind you, these are questions that should be asked in any investigation. I mean, they're crucial and not only for the sake of my family, but for the sake of everybody that puts their confidence in the justice system. So is it fair to say that you suspect that there was foul play? It is, yeah. I do feel suspicious. I may not get the answers that I need at this point. And, you know, I've been asked this question over and over, what I'm looking for out of this inquest, and that I'm probably not going to get the answers that I want. But I I would like to see some changes in the justice system. And I have seen the coroner's office take that initiative, but I'm still waiting to see some recommendations for the police and how they handle investigations and responses to emergency calls. Tell me more about the people who are in the Justice for Nadine group. Well, we have SCAR, which is a Saskatchewan Coalition Against Racism. 
their organization works within the community with issues regarding racism and discrimination. So they've been very helpful. They have reached out to myself and my family to support, you know, just how the whole situation was in the beginning. And then I reached out to some of my professors from school and one who I've gotten to know very good. Her name is Michelle Stewart and she works with Justice and Gender Studies at the University of Regina. She's been very closely linked to myself and has connected me with all kinds of people that have been able to help and support. And there's a few other organizations that have come together to help my family as well. So, from what I understand, while the family and Justice for Nadine haven't been able to get all of the answers that you want, your persistent work around the case has pushed authorities to do certain things. Like, I understand that there's been some sort of review of the coroner's office because of all of this? Yes, yes. The coroner's office had hired, I think it was five new staff members and there was some revision. They're in the process of revising their office and how their work is done on their part. And that came into light after Nadine's investigation and everything that kind of got dug up in the process of that. And what other kinds of actions have you seen from the province, from the police, from the coroner's office beyond the initial investigation? I haven't really gotten any response from the Regina police since her investigation was closed. And shortly after her investigation was closed, there was a inquest announced into her death. So yeah, we're going into inquest in March. Tell me more about the coroner's inquest. Was that something that the family and Justice for Nadine had demanded? Actually, no. I think because of myself, persistently bringing the issue into the media. It was announced because of the persistent voice and questioning. As far as I know, recommendations will be made determining her cause of death. That's another thing. There was conflicting autopsy reports that I had received closer to the end of her investigation. My family had received some autopsy reports which had been conflicting which raised more questions for the coroner's office and the reason they had determined the cause of death the way they did. What was the substance of the differences between the two autopsy reports? I was given the original autopsy report, which was done by the pathologist in Saskatoon and the chief coroner, and the original document had stated that the opinion was that Because of the high levels of drugs and alcohol in her system, it would be unlikely that she could have put herself in the laundry chute. Therefore, her death should be listed as undetermined. So I had that report and I sat on it for a few weeks. And then I got another report which came in and it had another opinion, but it totally took out the first opinion and the original report with no reference to it. So that became a big flag for myself and the people that have been working with me. And I took it to the coroner and I asked him why. And I should not have had to continually go to the media and address the issue. But that's what I did. And there was some stuff that came out of that as well. Will the family and Justice for Nadine be participating in the inquest in some way? Yes, I will be participating in the inquest. 
with my family and our support groups and community people that are coming together to support my family. We have legal counsel, so i assuming that they would do a majority of the speaking and questioning. I'm not sure what part I will be doing in the inquest yet. I'm still in the progress of planning and working that out right now. And I understand that you're currently raising money to pay for a lawyer for the inquest. Tell me more about the fundraising. We've started a GoFundMe campaign to pay for the costs of the legal counsel that we requested to have. We're hoping to raise 15000 We've had a lot of very good contributors and people who have stepped forward and donated. It means a lot to me. Looking ahead, whether it is in terms of the coroner's inquest or beyond that, what would it look like? What would you like to see to be able to feel that you'd really found some justice for Nadine? I think for the most part, just really examining and taking a look into the justice system in general. And I'm hoping to see some changes that would be made. I don't know what's going to come out of this inquest. I don't know what to expect. I've never been to an inquest before, so I really don't know what to expect. But I'm hoping that some positive changes would come out of this so that other families are not affected or that this doesn't ever happen to another family where they're waiting and going through this nightmare of waiting for toxicology samples for over a year or their reports are conflicting or their investigation wasn't handled with urgency or importance. I just hope that these types of things don't happen to other families. And that's the biggest change that I hope for. So... Given that one of the important aspects of what happened to Nadine was these stereotypes about Indigenous women that have, you know, led the hotel staff not to report to the police, led the police not to take the investigation seriously, and so on, what kinds of things do you think could be done in the broader society to challenge those stereotypes? I think that would have to just tie into issues around discrimination and racism and, I guess, how Indigenous women are viewed in Canada. And and there should not be high rates of Indigenous women missing and murdered. The rates are very high and, and Indigenous women are vulnerable and it shouldn't be like that. But that's the issue in Canada. And I know that it's all rooted back in colonialism and just the history of Indigenous people in Canada. You have been listening to my interview with Dolores Stevenson about the death of her niece, Nadine Machizkinik, and subsequent efforts to find some kind of justice for her. To learn more about the case, search for Justice for Nadine on Facebook, and to donate to the family's fundraising effort to hire a lawyer to represent them during the upcoming coroner's inquest, search for Justice for Nadine on GoFundMe.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.
Thank you.